This episode is brought to you by Tama Drums. Tama is celebrating the 25th anniversary of the Iron Cobra pedal in 2018. And to commemorate, they have a limited edition 20th anniversary bonus pack. So if you go down to your local Tama dealer and pick up an Iron Cobra or a Speed King Cobra pedal, it will give you a free TMT-9R multi-tool. The multi-tool has drum keys, screwdriver, various sizes of Allen wrenches, uh, it's really cool. So check it out, tomadrums.com to find out more about it. And let's get the show started. We could start episode 163 with that vibe. I mean, this is this is Miami Tron. This is hot. No, I like talking over this. I just want to keep it going. I know. Well, then, yeah, let's just let it run through the entire episode. Oh, oh man. Of it. Jonathan, great job, buddy. What's Jonathan playing? Jonathan, what's he got? He said this is an 80s-inspired piece. Um, I actually said there's a video of him. Uh, on YouTube, so if you search at the Studio Drummer on YouTube, you'll find him playing that beat for us. He's got a Tomar Royal Star kit, um, a little three and a half by thirteen Pearl Steel Piccolo. He's got a Thomas Superstar eight by fourteen. I think that's a Birch Superstar. I don't. Know. It depends on what era, I guess. A uh, mix of Zildjian, Peisty, Wuhan, and Minor Symbols. Recording and Digital Performer. I haven't heard anyone mention that recording program in a long time. That was the first software I learned of sequencing and audio recording on. Really? Yeah, it was what we had in college. It was like the, I think it was before Logic, and it was the only one that we had that could do sequencing really well and audio recording, um, which is kind of what Logic does now. But Nice. I think it's mainly like a uh, soundtrack composer software. And clearly it worked for Jonathan. It sounds good. He gave us the soundtrack it sounds vibe. Great. I don't know what, what kind of movie so thank would that be. Thank you very be? much. <laughs> I don't I, I feel like I I need a white suit with a pink undershirt. <laughs> and definitely just some some sort of a a, a Ferrari. Yeah, I definitely feel like I was going somewhere really important. <laughs> yes. And I'm 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 probably gonna break up a drug deal while I'm there. <laughs> nice. So thank you, Jonathan. Everybody, what is up? Welcome into episode 163. Hope you guys are doing amazing. So we've got a bunch of stuff today. We're going to be talking about challenging your chops. Hold on. <clears throat> hey yo. <laughs> Hello. Challenging your chops by moving your accents around in flammed rudiments. Our featured artist is one of mine and Mike's good friends, Yo Snickle. We both look up to him a lot, so I'm excited to talk about him. Uh, we'll also be checking out some symbols from, some Turkish-made symbols from a California company called Legato Symbols. Really cool stuff. We'll do your listener questions. We'll do picks of the week. All that good stuff. All How's everything that. going with you, buddy? Going well. Going well. No complaints. I had a little bit of an identity crisis the past weeks. I had to demo so much review gear okay. that when I finally got done with the last kit, because I did those three Tama SLP kits, which they're all night and day, completely different sounds and, and vibes. Really? Yeah. yeah this, wow, that's really cool. So, well, I mean, that's that review's coming up. But yeah, the Spruce kit's kind of like the more jazz kind of vibe. The uh, the Maple kit has wood hoops, and it just sounds big and huge. And then there's the Kapoor kit, which is kind of like the modern, real snappy sound. So I had, to, really like, cool. I had to like quickly change my headspace. And, and how would... Matt Gartska play this kit, or how would you know it was? Yeah, so it was an identity crisis. So last night I finally got my kit back, you know, the, the kit that I'm taking for my clinics. And I'm like, okay, how do I play this thing? It's like, what what was I doing Who again? I? Where was I two weeks yeah. ago? <laughs> Goodness gracious, it's really that, weird, man. That stuff is tough. I go through that, I will go through that one week from now. So I've got my last camp of the year coming up. And then after that, and I've got some clinics coming up, but as soon as the camp is over, then I'm done being camp teacher. Like in, in camp teacher mode, I have a very, I don't even know how you say it, just vanilla drum set because everyone is playing my drum set. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I'm asking them to learn the drums. I'm not asking them to become me. I feel like if you went to Benny Greb's camp or Thomas Lang's camp, their kits would be their kits exactly. And you're learning how to be more like them. 
where my camps are you learning how to play drum set. So my tuning changes, my setup changes, the hmm. second ride isn't there. It has to be an 18-inch crash, and it has to be at the right angle. And so, yeah, I mean, I spend like six months losing myself, and then I have to remember who I am, and or not even who I am as much as who do I want to be. What direction am I going yeah. in in my own progress? Now, do you find that exciting or overwhelming? Oh, massively overwhelming. It shuts me down. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I go into full deep, dark hole <laughs> depression stuff where Amber's like, what is wrong with you? That's and what- I say, babe, I don't know. You think I want to be here? I love being happy. I love just shooting rainbows out my ass as I walk down the street. But right now, I'm not happy. Oh, <laughs> I don't know man. who I am as a drummer. I'm glad you know, I'm not alone because it's the exact same thing. Like I, when I got my kit set back up, I'm like, all right, let me run over some of the ideas I'm going to do in these clinics. And I'm like, man, I, I don't like any of it. <laughs> like I actually, I actually hate everything about my plane right now. <laughs> And I'm going to go, like, share this information. (laughs) Uh, For all the listeners out there, you guys are fine. Don't worry about it. It's not like... Between Mike and I, we only have sixty years combined experience, and we still don't like our playing. God, there's one. There's one pattern that if I ever, if I could ever just cut it out of my world, I would be so happy. And it's like a stream of sixteenths where it's right, left, left, right, left, left. I just want it okay. to be gone. Just go away. Every time I play it, and I'm is like, it, don't Is it kind of that. your get-out-of-jail free card? Like, if you don't know what else to do, it just happens? It just happens, and the problem is I don't like the way it sounds, so then I'm immediately, like, thrust out of the flow, and I'm like, don't do that, and it resolves weird. I'm like, ugh, just don't do that. Just stop it. Don't ever do it. But I've practiced it so many times, and it's like, hey, there it is. There's that dumb thing you keep doing all the freaking time. (laughs) It's, you know, I think one of the toughest things to keep in mind when you are preparing for what you're preparing for is that even though you've heard you play this stuff a million times, most people have never heard you play it ever. So yeah. everything you do is fresh to them because they've never even seen you play. Yeah, And that's hard to remember because you just kind of think – you think someone's going to stand up and be like, oh, I know that one. You did that. <laughs> I, you always do that. And you're like, oh, God. God, I don't want anyone I to mean, ever say that. <laughs> for me, it's a little worse because I actually teach it on like YouTube yeah. and on my website. So they can go, lesson 42. <laughs> like, yeah, I know. I actually do play the stuff I teach. Sorry. <laughs> I don't want it. I don't want that to happen. Like, I don't want to be, I don't ever want to have a pretty shuffle. Like, right. It's right, cool right. That, you. that, you know, at least for Bernard, he recorded it on some amazing records, but he cannot right. do a clinic for the rest of his life without doing his 20 minute pretty shuffle thing. He has yeah, to I mean, do it. Ash has gotten pretty close to there, and and that's not. If you listen to Ash's recordings, I'm pretty sure there's only one or two tracks. He's on one, uh, maybe it's a Shaka Khan track. No, not Shaka Khan. Who is it? Um, Slave to the Rhythm is the song, but he's on one track doing it, and then he's on another Seal track. And other than that, I mean, he's not like tracking halftime shuffles, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but he got very popular doing it on Instagram, and now everywhere he goes, halftime shuffle. <laughs> Uh, luckily for him, he loves that groove, so it works out. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's tough, man. Uh, well, I'm glad to know that we both go through that, and that we. I'm sure the listeners are like, "Whew, goodness gracious!" <laughs> it, it would suck to know that, you know, drummers you look up to just wake up every morning going like, "Damn, I'm crushing it I again!" It. I mean, wow, this is like 42 <laughs> days in a row that I've been amazing. Well, those That's are those good. those are the guys I don't want to hear. I mean, it's. I know I've mentioned it many times, but I want to hear guys kind of struggle on stage a little bit. Even if it's an internal thing, maybe their technique is flawless, but I want to hear them reaching for something and maybe not get it on stage. Go for it. Right. But I'm at the point where everything is is just falling apart, though. I'm like, how do I On a professional level, (laughs) you never – I mean, I've never been to a clinic or been part of a clinic where I or someone else actually stopped. And they were like, oh, man, I suck. But (laughs) – all they do is do that kind of fake NBA foul yell where you just yell out loud so the ref knows you got fouled. But the thing is, that yell is the only thing that called attention to the mess up because we didn't know that you messed uh, up. Yeah. Because a professional mess up is that you didn't get what you were going for. You still play. You don't stop. Like right. Everything's fine. <laughs> it's just that the idea that you had in your head didn't quite come to fruition. So I... Uh, I, well, anyways, I think Pasek's going to be fine. You got this, man. <laughs> well, the thing is, I'm not it, that. I'm not worried about. It's just my own internal battle of like 
you spend right. a year working on this crap and you don't like any of it. But that's happened throughout 30 years of drumming. Like, I want to yep. be a big band drummer, and then I don't ever want to play big band again. I want to be a hard right. rock drummer, then God, don't ever call me for a hard rock gig. It's like, I want to play cover right. band gigs, and I'm like, I'm refusing every gig that comes my way now. It, it's... It's perpetual. It's perpetual. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I love it. And it's, you know, I think it might have to do with the seasons changing. That's true. You're getting ready for winter. You're going to be pissed for an entire six months. I'm going to be telling you, like, oh, it's freezing. It's 65 here. And then you're going to hate me more. Oh, yeah. The uh, last thing I'll talk about winter until we get our first snow is this summer sucked. This was the worst yeah? East Coast weather, I think, ever. It was just because of humidity. It rained just every weekend, and it was just kind of gloomy and not cool. Oh, man. The whole freaking summer. I'm like, where are we, Seattle? I'm like, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> Apologies to Seattle. You have a very beautiful city. <laughs> no, but if I live in Seattle, I expect it to be rainy and right. Yeah, yeah. Dark. Absolutely. I'm, like, I'm Absolutely. supposed to get some bright sunshine. So that's it. No more weather. My dogs are doing well Weather's for done. anyone that really dogs cares. are good. <laughs> Boom. Move on. Let's talk education. <laughs> so this thing, and uh, who wrote this? Let me pull it up real quick. Luis Ricardo Mendez. Uh, this is pretty much taking a pad of fla-fla mm-hmm. and then running different accent patterns through it. But what I found super definitely original about it is something he says early on in the article is usually when you flam you accent the main note you have a grace note and then an accent that's what's creating the flam so he's asking you to bring the dynamics down on that accent so the flams are a little more flat and i don't mean flat as far as not having a click to them but i just mean dynamically they're a little more even and then you have room to have accents stick out inside the single so if you don't know what a pad of flaw flaw is think of just alternating single strokes you have a flam on the downbeats, the numbers, as well as the uhs. So flam, tap, tap, flam, flam, tap, tap, flam, flam, tap, tap, flam, flam. Thomas Lane pointed out to me that it should be called a flaw, pat, flaw, because the flaw uh, is the flam. He's like, you Americans ruined this. And I'm like, I didn't do it. I had nothing to do with this. This was out way before I was around. So pat a flaw, flaw should be two singles and two flams. It probably started as two singles followed by two flams. Come on, Thomas. Right. Come on. It's just the phrasing of it is more interesting to do the flam on the outside. (laughs) Kind of the way that we've we've completely turned the six-stroke roll into a triplet-based thing. Yeah, right. But that it's not. Yeah, exactly. So there we go. All right, so pat a flaw, flaw. You've got a flam followed by two singles, another flam as sixteenth notes. So gletta, glet, gletta, glet, gletta, glet, glet. So he's saying, let's take that samba feel that would be played on the bass drum. Doom, 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 doom. We'll use that as the flams, alternating sixteenth notes, gives us the pat a flaw, flaw, and then you start putting in accent patterns that show up in those single strokes, not the non-flams. I got to say, totally new concept to me. I've never done that on yeah. a pad. I mean, th- when this came in, this came in unsolicited, and as soon as I saw it, I'm like, this is this is one of those perfect articles where you look at it, like, that makes sense, it's easy, let me try it. Oh, my God, my hands can't do any of this. Like, any Bro, I of was it. Tapping. <laughs> I was tapping for a while, and I was, I was shocked. I was just trying to do, I guess on this, it would be, where is it? Um, it's when he starts the grid. So number eight, um, so putting the accent on the E. On the E, yeah. And I was shocked at how hard that was. And he's right. You do have to bring those flams down in volume for that accent to stick out. Um, and so, yeah, that that was uh, that was pretty big kid stuff. And what I love about this is it's another example of, have you really gone down the rabbit hole with the basics? Yeah. Because if you said, what about the pat of flaw I would say, oh, I learned it in seventh grade. I've been doing it ever since. And everybody would play it the it. same way. Boom, da-dooms, and I've da-dooms, played da-dooms. it. <laughs> exactly. I've played it the exact same way. I could do it over any ostinato. And <laughs> I could even I could play chop it off two sixteenths at the end and do it in seven, eight. Um, and then it's like, cool, can you just accent the E's? Yeah, no problem. Flutting? Nope. Yeah. The Flutting? One, and, nope. And he goes into like accent every third, sixteenth, while you know not changing where the flams are located. I think that's the important mm-hmm. part: is the flams are always on the downbeat and the uh, but the accents are every third, sixteenth. Right. It looks intellectually. I'm like, of course, I can do that. My hands had no idea what the heck was happening. No idea. Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing he brings in is like a Brazilian clave on, the, on number four. 
um, number four and number five where you've got one E, a two E, and a three E, and a four E, right. and a one yeah. E, and a two and that so I hadn't scrolled down enough to see that he was going to eventually build me up to that. <laughs> I was like, wait, that's the first. I can't. No, no, can't do it. Um, so it was really cool. Uh, he kind of says, OK, here's the home run right up top. Yeah. And then says, all right, all right, calm down. Let's develop this. And then he takes you through the downbeats, the E's, the ands, the us. Then two notes starting on the downbeats, the E's, the ands, and the us, which is really cool. I mean, it's it's your basic new breed grid system whatever you want to call it uh but uh, i was really impressed with this yeah i mean impressed with how much my hands couldn't do it (laughs) you could do the same thing with any flam any flam rudiment any any rudiment really paradiddles can you move the accents through the paradiddles at will yeah it's it's a challenging it's i like this because it this one concept you're done you don't need a technique book for the next five years you can just say okay what's everything that i know Double stroke roll. Can you move an accent to any place in a double stroke roll? Mm-hmm. And that can take a month to kind of exhaust it. And then what about the paradiddle? What about, you know, just go through each thing. It's like, all right, I don't need a snare drum book. I'm kind of good for the next year. <laughs> right. Know? Yeah, absolutely. That's- and I, and I, I think it's one of those things, too, that you have to be mature enough to understand that the things that you play on the pad, you don't get to run straight to the drum set and figure out the coolest chop with it. You won't know the benefit of this exercise probably for months. Really what you're getting out of this is massive amounts of control. So whatever you do play on your drum set, you have more control over it. Uh, uh, It's so common. I'm sure you've dealt with this as a teacher. But in private lessons, when you're teaching on the pad, it's really common for the student to say, so what can you do with that on the kit? I'm like, Hmm. just we're not we're not there right now. This this is just called a downstroke. It, it'll show up. It it will show up. And I'm like, well, what's the fast version of it? It's like, no, it's just that. Yeah. Now, so I mean, I, I wouldn't if I was playing this, I wouldn't rush over to the kit to see. Okay, I'm going to do this pataflafla while accenting a Brazilian clave rhythm, and I'm going to play that all over the kit. I I think that a lot of times these control exercises that teach you you know massive amounts of control. I think that those exercises show up show up they show up in your grooves, they show up in your fills, they show up in your soloing, they show up in different ways. Yeah, I don't think it has to be deliberate. Um with these in particular though, I think I think of something Dom Famolaro uh gosh in his old video of nineteen eighty or whatever it was. He had a flam pattern and then he played it splitting the hand between the ride cymbal and the snare drum, all of a sudden you've got a syncopated samba groove. That would right. be about as far as I would go with applying these exact patterns to the drums. Even then I think you might be, you know, your grace notes might get sloppy. Your accents might not be as distinct. I would keep it on the right. pad. This isn't something I would necessarily. Maybe snare drum with a with the samba. But even foot still, thing. you're going to sound like you're taking a pad exercise to the kit. Yeah, uh, that's what I'm saying. Like, please don't think that just because you worked on something on the pad that it's not beneficial to you unless you can directly move it to the kit. It, it it doesn't work that way. You're working on control. You're working on telling your hands what to do. I mean, think about what Mike said earlier when we started this, or what both of us said. We've been playing most of our lives, and we can easily read this. We totally conceptually understand it, and our hands couldn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> so we're trying to find more and more things that our brain knows what to do. Our body won't do it. We're going to break down those barriers and have more freedom on the instrument so that if an idea ever does creep into our head – or for some reason we're going blah blah do blah 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 do blah 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 do blah blah, and we want to hit some punches with the band. We have the freedom to do that. Yeah, that's probably one of the lamest things that you can have happen to you as a drummer, or probably even as a musician, is that you're smart enough to think about something, but you're not physically good enough to pull it off. Yeah, that's torture. That's, yeah, that's torture. But for me, that that's good because it means your your thinking is ahead of your playing, and so you have a goal right. rather than you just work on the physical side of drumming. You have no concept. You just blow notes everywhere which i've seen that battle both back and forth sure and i i've I've told a lot of my students as they're getting better and better at the instrument generally your drummer brain is going to be about a year to two years ahead of your drummer body and that's so because they're always searching for like when do you just go yeah i'm like oh never ever because your brain (laughs) keeps developing and your body can't keep up with it so you always feel like you're behind the eight ball 
all the time. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. And then if you have mm-hmm. drumming idols that are in the drum world, that sucks <laughs> because they practice as much as you do. So the distance between you and them stays the same all the time. Having drum and, drumming idols that are just band guys, you can lap them within two years. <laughs> Fine. And they're like, I'm just going to stay in my rock band and keep playing my beats. You will pass them up. No problem. If your drumming idol happens to be named David Alan Weckle, that's not his middle name. Uh, but if, if, if Uncle Dave is one of your idols, you're in trouble, man, because that dude practices every day. Yeah. Well, it's been reassuring for me as I, I go back and listen to records or watch videos that a year ago I was like, I want to be able to do that. I don't know what the heck they're doing. <clears throat> Excuse right. me. And a year later, I look at it, I'm like, oh, my God, I can hear the phrasing. I know exactly what they're doing. Like, whatever I've been working on has actually gotten me to that level. That's rewarding. Yeah. But then at that point, I'm, like, I'm bored with that. So now I'm looking at the next thing. I was talking to uh, my friend, student, uh, Nate, about this. And he was like, talking about the single store call. I'm like, you'll never be good at it. You'll never. It's just like running. You'll, you can it get better, but you never get good at it. Right. <laughs> you, know, you just have to right. embrace the fact that well, it's always going to suck. Like, <laughs> think about somebody like Carter who – I mean, how many people can we celebrate their single strokes? Like, and that's, by the way, for anyone that's brand new to drumming, or if you're in the car right now with a drummer and you don't play drums, <laughs> a single stroke roll is right, left, right, left. Ad, ad nauseum. Yep. <laughs> and we're all bad at it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then, like, when somebody can do right, left, right, left correctly, we celebrate them like they're a freaking god. <laughs> it's unreal, man. It's crazy. It's crazy. And I've I've heard some of the best drummers in the world in these drum festivals that I play go for a single stroke roll and go. It's it's you're never like, good oh, at man. it. I think the problem is we always automatically go like overdrive. Like, how fast can we freaking do it? Where right, right, right. I, what I've it would have been fine at seventy percent. Yeah, I'm listening back to my re- recordings of myself. What I think is a slow roll when I listen back, it, it, you perceive it a lot faster from an audience perspective. So. Right. That's what I'm having to tell myself is it doesn't just because it's a single stroke roll doesn't mean I have to be maxed out sprinting the whole time. Now, do you play your single stroke rolls as a subdivision or do you just turn your fingers on and go? I don't do that ever anymore. I don't allow myself to just go. That That is okay. removed from all possibilities for me right now. So it's going to have to be really? some kind of a subdivision that I'm aware of what I'm doing. Because for me, I don't want that like I'm at the edge of a cliff and I have no idea how to get off it feeling. Yeah, yeah like, no, you always jump want. out. Of, yeah, it's like, and you and no matter what, it doesn't even matter where you are in the role, you will jump out on your right hand. Even yeah. if it means you have to go past the bar line, yeah, you're coming. exactly. Then you're a sixty-four. No one leaves off. it on their left. Yeah, hand. that's right. Exactly. That's what I never, ever want to have happen. So, and that's another kind of tendency of mine to kind of stretch in and out of time and not be aware of it. It's more like I let me feel what happens when I slow down. I'm like, nah, don't, don't do that. You're not Zach Danziger. <laughs> you're like, don't freaking do <laughs> right. it. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, it's big kid stuff. Well. Luis, thank you for your article. Thank you for getting Mike and I stuck on single strokes after your flam <laughs> accent article. I didn't mean flam accent. The room, it meant flams and accents. And, uh, yeah, check it out, guys, because, like we said, it's one of those things that you look at and you go, oh, yeah, I got this. And and then you're looking for the trick. You start looking through it like, well, where's the weird sticking? Because it can't just be single strokes with yeah. flams. And it's like, no, it is. It's just a pat of flaw flaw, and then those accents trip you up big. So I, I thought it was a great article. It's called Flam Ostinato's A Creative Approach to a Drumming Staple by Luis Ricardo Mendez. Good, good stuff. All right. So, you ready to talk about Mr. Yost Nickel? Yeah, I think we're returning. We might have featured him, gosh, a long time ago, but we do have a, a nice story with Yost in the November issue, so I thought it would be a good time to revisit and, and uh, examine some of his playing. Um, you know him. You know him more personally than I do. I've gotten to know him a bit because he's written for us a bunch. And we've hung out at Nam. But uh, what I love about his playing, we'll talk about that side of it, is his sound blows me away. I can't believe how yeah. thick and like focused his sound is. It sounds like he's got a built-in compressor in his body, and that yeah. And it doesn't matter what video you show up on. It it always has that like sound. That. It, it's in, it's yeah. so dense, and and it doesn't. I mean, he doesn't waste any emotion when he plays, which I also love. But at the same time, it's deceiving. You're like, oh, he's not really hitting. He's getting a ton of power. 
barely even moving. He's, he's got the Bruce Lee vibe happening. Pretty, yeah, he's pretty incredible. Um, definitely one of my favorite people in the drum industry. And we've known each other for, God, I think about seven or eight years now. He is the main, or I would say he was the biggest reason that I made my move to Meinl. Uh, and it was because, and I didn't know him at the time. So mm-hmm. Benny and I did a camp together. That was my first experience playing Minel cymbals, just because Benny brought his cymbals with him. And this is, like I said, uh, that at that camp was nine years ago. And Gosh. Um, nine years ago, yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. We were kids. <laughs> yeah, we were kids, man. Uh, so, and Benny and I didn't really know each other, but that was my first chance playing those cymbals. And then I decided, you know what, I'm going to check Meinl out. I guess I was wrong about them because we just didn't have a Meinl dealer, so I didn't know much about them. And I went to Meinl's website, and all of the videos were either Yost Nickel or Felix Lehrman, so all the demos. And I started watching the videos not to watch the symbols. I was like, this is whoever Jost Nickel is, he's good. (laughs) Um, And I just fell in love with his playing. And just like you said, I was like, "Uh, there's something tangible here. I feel like... I feel like I understand this vocabulary, but I know that I can't do what he's doing with it. Yeah, he's got um, insane it, control. Insane control. It's, it's unbelievable. I mean, and the thing is, I would say out of any drummer that I can think of right now, I would say whether they know it or not, his vocabulary is the most prevalent vocabulary on on Instagram and in the modern drum world. I hear his stuff everywhere. They just don't know that. They think they got it maybe – from Benny or from Anika or, or maybe from Yoast or someone else that was inspired by Yoast. But his direct vocabulary, I hear it everywhere. So let's grab uh, – this is the intro groove to his band. Um, what is it? Jandalay. Yeah, Yandalay and Disco Number 1. This is the song Rave Against the Machine. He wrote a, an article about this a few years back, but – we have a nice clip of him playing live with the band, so we're going to drop that in, and then we're going to follow it with him, with an excerpt of him demonstrating it from the video. So the first clip is him playing live at a festival, big stage, big sound system. Second clip is him in a recording studio, and to me, it's the the consistency of sound is what I think is most amazing. So let's check out yeah. the live version first. How does somebody stay that cool while playing in front of that many people? <laughs> That's what I mean. I think he's, de- he's deceivingly non-expressive. I don't know what the, how you would describe it. He's just I, yeah, his economy I, of motion is really impressive for me. To me, agreed. And you know, it would. Uh, I think a lot of drummers playing that groove. That groove lends itself to so much more of Yost's vocabulary. That DC Go Go groove. Uh-huh. I mean, Yost is a master of the linear triplet, the broken triplet, the non-linear triplet stuff. And for him to just stay there and be like, no, 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 I've got a job to do. I'm not at a drum clinic. I'm on stage with my band. And this groove is more than enough. It it kind of reminds me of the way Steve Jordan plays where it's like, this is kind of my job right now, so I'm going to do it. And I just think it's absolutely amazing. And then the fact that he's also studied enough to be able to make a video about it and break it down and he knows the subdivisions he knows the swing that he's putting on it it's just it's incredible i mean he's he really is 
has been for quite a while one of my drumming heroes and uh and the fact that he's a good dude makes it even better so he does have two books out if you're not aware of he's got one called i think it's just called yost nichols groove book and then he has a second one called phil book so again straight into the point you want to learn about how he builds grooves and you want to learn about how he builds fills he's got two books for you (laughs) it's that german efficiency man what do you want what what else do you need uh but and they're great books i have both of them uh they're they're really great books the thing that i would say about both of those books is right away you are smacked in the face with what he makes look easy is not easy. It's actually very similar to the the article we just covered where you will read them. They're not difficult books to read. He actually did a very good job of making sure that you know what's going on. But you get on the kit and you're like, oh, that mm. would, that's going to take me like an hour to get that one beat down yeah. with that one tiny permutation. It's like, yeah, but that's what gives – Yost did all of this. He did all the work and did all the permutations. And that's why he has the freedom that he has. Yeah, freedom through discipline. That's something I have to remind myself every single day. And that's why I listen to a lot of Navy SEALs give speeches because that's what they talk about. You want freedom? you got to be disciplined. Get off your ass and do it. (laughs) Make your bed every day. Start the day by doing something. At least you know you did that. Just work out. Don't worry about what they'll do. Just start lifting stuff. Hun, what are you doing? I'm lifting the coffee machine because we have nothing else to lift, but i got to lift something because I listen to a podcast. Goodness gracious. Yeah, no, I think that Yost, like I said, he's he is more influential than people know. His drumming has influenced some of the major influencers of our scene. So he's kind of – I look at him as almost like Faith No More where mm. there were so many bands that got huge – after listening to Faith No More. <laughs> yeah, true. And there are so many drummers that have, you know, the coolest vocabulary because they took it from Yost. <laughs> I mean, he's he just, you know, and, and Yost would be the first to tell you that all his vocabulary comes from other people. It's just the way he organized it. I really think if you look, if you go back and look at his educational timeline, the stuff that he was putting out there, I mean, he really made odd groupings cool. He was doing all those threes, fives, and sevens and teaching all of that stuff and putting out PDFs a decade ago mm-hmm. and and showing like, hey, look, if you just start adding up threes and fives, eventually it'll add up to 32 and you'll have a two-bar phrase that doesn't sound so stale as right, left, kick, kick for two full bars. So yeah. I think he, he deserves a lot of credit for his vocabulary. He's a fantastic clinician. I did... Music Mesa with him and Annika. We, we were all in the same room together teaching all day long. Uh, and it was just a, a blast to to see those two German powerhouses do their thing. But uh, Yost can really handle – he can handle the microphone. He can handle the stage. And then his playing, it just – it sounds fantastic. The, the one thing that I always leave after watching Yost play, especially live, the one thing I always leave – or try to take away is his bass drum patterns. Mm. He has the hookiest bass drum patterns ever, and they're the they're the most simple ones. They're the ones I always forget. Like, oh yeah, that's super cool. If that was the broth of your soup, if you started everything with just that kick pattern, everything else hangs around it really well. Yeah, um, yeah, it goes back to. I mean, he just plays so deliberately and with so much clarity. Yes. And it, and I've mentioned it many many times, but I feel like if you can play with hundred percent control and very deliberate with your ideas you're always going to sound good you can play whatever you can play a disco beat but if you're all in and you don't fluff it up with a bunch of stupid ghost notes and you know if you don't take it seriously if you don't like if it's yeah i feel like when ghost plays every note is the most important note there's no there's no filler there's no fluff and if to me that's like well you can play anything dude you can just play a backbeat for three hours and i'm i'm in i'm 100 percent in Absolutely. Well, I want to share before we move on to other things, I want to share just a story. So he was here at the Mike's Lesson Studio a few years ago, and we did a, like an online clinic for our student base. And we got to spend, I think I think he was here for like two or three days. We got to spend some decent time together. And so at some point I said, hey, I've got uh, – actually, he was here before I played PASIC. So I told okay. him, hey, I'm going to I'm gonna play like my first legit 8 to 10-minute drum solo. Do you have any advice? So he started giving me some help. His big piece of advice was this thing that I'd never heard, which was, what's your home tempo? 
I said, I don't even know what that means. And he's like, well, tap your foot in quarter notes right now without thinking of anything. And I did. And then he explained, that's based off of every song you've ever loved in your life. That is your home tempo. That's where you feel the most comfortable. Mm. Play your solo in that tempo. Everything else will be forced. Um, and I said, uh, okay, you can leave now. I can just live off that <laughs> nugget for the rest of my life. Um, and, and, you know, and I thought about this. I said, yeah, if somebody grew up only listening to Exploited and Black Flag, they're going to tap their foot a lot faster than I am. And if somebody only grew up listening to Beatles songs, they're probably going to tap their foot slower if it's just a bunch of flat doom, doom, da doom. So we all have our home tempo. So he helped me with that. And then he said, okay, I want you to improvise for me. And I'm going to yell out loud every time I know that you just played a lick, something that's memorized. Mm. And I couldn't get more than two or three bars without him going, stop. I've seen that one on YouTube. <laughs> stop. I saw that in your book. That's in your linear book. Stop. And I was like, what? Isn't that what improvising is? He's like, you haven't made anything up. Mm. And I mean, this, this is like my intro to improv and soloing. You know, this is years ago. But... I mean, it really changed a lot for me, and I really learned what improvising meant. And I was because that's hard. How do you improvise if you can't use the vocabulary you you know? And what he was saying is like, no, no, no. You played sixteen notes in a row, and you knew all sixteen, and you knew where they landed, and you knew you didn't play a concept base off that lick. And because I was asking him like, well, then do you never play a lick? And he's like, no, no, no. I have things that are memorized, but when I play them in a solo. I hint at it and I see where it takes me, but I don't play it in the organized, composed fashion that you're doing it. Yeah, and it's like, that, oh I, man, I can. Okay, I appreciate that. So he's he's thinking more. Do some do some like if you're a an actor, go to an improv class rather than recite the lines. Like that's how many sentences have you and I said since we started this podcast where we knew the beginning and the end of the sentence? None. Zero. Right? I haven't read any copy yet. So zero. Oh, no, exactly. I did. Maybe zero. with the, the intro beat a little bit. <laughs> but we're using the vocabulary we know word for word and we're putting it together to make these things. So I think to make it a little more tangible, if I played kick right, left, kick right, left, right, left, kick right, left, kick right, left, right, left, what he would probably say is play – Improvise in linear sixteenths. Don't play that yeah, memorized right, pattern. Right, right. And so then it becomes kick right, left, kick right, left, kick right, left, right, left, kick, kick right, left, kick, kick right, left, and you just see where it takes you. Yeah. And and then once again back to what we talked about uh, in our in the article we discussed. That's when it hits you. You go, well, that seems like a lot of work. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, yep. And that's why Yost is where he is, and uh, you know, and Benny is where he is, and all these great drummers, and JoJo is where he is. So. Anyways, I hope that helps and shines some light on how deep this guy goes. And if you have not checked out Yost Nickel, do so. There's so much great content with him all over YouTube. Uh, and you can and, he's, and he teaches a bunch as well, so you can check that stuff out. And I actually – um, I've got a clinic tour coming up, and one of my stops is at the school that he graduated from, which is like Germany's Berkeley School of Music. It's called Pop Academy. So Ooh. I'll be teaching there for a day. And Annika went there, Benny went there, Yost went there. And they and I'm really excited because their teacher was this guy named Udo Daman, and he is anti-social media. So mm. no one has ever seen Benny, Annika, and Yost's teacher play drums unless you went to that school. You can't find him anywhere. So I'm so excited <laughs> to finally just meet him and have him go, so you teach on the internet? Why? And I'd be like, nah. The Yoda, the Yoda of German drumming. <laughs> I know, right? And of three of my favorite drummers, so I'm really excited about that. So everyone check out Yost Nickel, and you can check him out in the November issue of Modern Drummer Magazine. Now it is time to thank our sponsor, new sponsor. Yeah, Tama Drums is back for uh, the sponsor of this episode, and they have a special promotion that we want to make sure everyone's aware about. So it, this is the, which I really couldn't believe, 25th anniversary of the Iron Cobra pedal. We are so old. Debuted in 1993. I still think it is pound for pound the best pedal your money could buy. Um, I have one that's been a tank. I've used it for 10, 15 years, and... The only thing that's happened is I've had to replace the beater once because it wasn't the beater that came with it, it and it started to fall apart. That's it. The pedal itself, never oiled it, never changed anything. It still nice. feels great. Um, I think it's a pedal that any drummer of any style can also use, which is also a bit of an exception to the norm. You know, you know, it's not designed for one type of player. It's basically just a good, solid pedal. So 25th anniversary, 
So if you buy an Iron Cobra or a uh, Speed Cobra pedal for the rest of this year, they are giving you a free multi-tool, which they sent me one to check out. It has two different drum key attachments. It's basically like a Swiss Army knife for drums. A couple drum key attachments, a screwdriver, a bunch of Allen wrenches, and it's got something I haven't seen, which is a slot where if you have a a thumb screw that's stuck or you just can't tighten it enough. It's got a slot where you can use this as like a, a torque wrench for those wow. pesky mounts on house kits that never want to tighten, which is pretty neat. That's awesome. So, yeah, I don't know. It's, it says, while supplies last through 2018. So check it out. Go down to Ooh. your nearest Tama dealer. Buy yourself an Iron Cobra. You, you can't go wrong. <laughs> and then get yourself a free tool. Yeah, man. I mean, that's definitely one of those pedals that I use a DW5000, but then I look at the Tama Iron Cobra, and and really there aren't a lot of other standards. I mean, the Iron Cobra, like you said, 25 years. They've become a standard where it's like you can never say you got the wrong pedal if you get a Tama Iron Cobra. Yeah. But, I mean, it just, it just does its job. Uh, but I got to say, I mean uh, – <clears throat> it's tough to say this as a Gretsch artist, but Tom is on fire lately. They are. They really are. I mean, they are killing it. And Go Tom. I mean, I well, good it. for them. Yeah, I mean, it's. All right. Yeah, I mean, it's what? Well, Just say it, Mike. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. Nothing. I, say nothing. <laughs> I will say this. <laughs> I, I wanted to mention this in the intro when you were talking about the kits, and we will obviously review those kits on here soon. But I have, and I don't know if you almost have to be this way because of your job, but. I've kind of switched my mindset from this is good or bad based off of how much I like it to this is good or bad based off of if they achieved what they were going for. It's okay that I don't like it from my personal drumming, but did they achieve what they set out to achieve? And those SLP kits seem to, from what you're saying, have done exactly that. It wouldn't even matter if I liked the tones they produced or not. It seems like they nailed what they were trying to do. I think so. I mean, just the, the concept of taking a snare drum and then blowing it out into a full drum kit is really interesting. And, and right. I think what they've done by that is they've they've created a mid-price or like a working, quote-unquote, drummer's kit that has a very unique sound. And that is that you don't find. Usually it's like if you're in a $1,000 market, a $2,000 market, it's all going to be kind of the same sounding kit. It's going to be a maple like kit. A it's like a drum kit. It's going to be great. Where these three kits, I, I mean, like, I was kind of shocked at like how drastically different they are. So, wow, they definitely achieved it. Um, so anyway, yeah, thanks Tama for sponsoring the show. Go get yourself an Iron Cobra pedal and a free multi tool before they run out. Boom! All right, let's get into some candy. It is time to do some gear review. So legato symbols. Uh, definitely disclosure i i didn't know much about them i think have we reviewed their stuff before though no this is the first time we've reviewed okay. it uh, they were new i think at nam this past year maybe yeah because they yeah i didn't they just started in may of 2017 so they would have missed the nam show of 2017 they were they were sharing a booth with uh love custom drums this year okay and there's a partnership there, so there's uh, we'll talk about it awesome. later. But there's actually a snare drum series that they did that's made out of cymbals. That's a snare drum. Uh, nice, nice. Well, yeah, I definitely didn't know much about them, and then checking out this stuff and checking out all of your audio examples, it was it was pretty epic. Um, now, where do these generally sit price wise? I mean, these are these working drummer symbols yeah well that's this is where the, i think this could be a game changer for a lot of people uh these are handmade turkey and handmade in turkey top quality b20 bronze are using you know the, the factories that have legendary status as far as their quality uh but they're priced i mean it's kind of shocking so just for instance an eight inch splash 72 dollars Wow. A 24-inch ride symbol, $280. Wow, that's uh, pretty affordable for a tw- – how you say a 22-inch? 24-inch ride symbol, oh. $280. Damn, that's that's cheap enough you can make some hats. Yeah, so I think you kind of – 24-inch hats. And, and, and some – you know, I guess there's – the psychology is, well, it's cheap price. It must be cheap quality. It's not. I told uh, when Buddy sent me – Buddy uh, Buddy Love from Love Custom Drums, he sent me his symbols to review – and as soon as I played, I think it was the Heritage Series, and like I'm hearing, I know what this sounds like. It sounds like old Turkish stuff. And he was like, "Yep, you've you pinpointed it." So, 
it's as good wow. as anything else. Uh, I don't know how they can afford it that way. Maybe it won't stay that way for long, so you might want to get some now before they have to increase the prices. But the audio I wanted to drop in, they have two series. We checked out a bunch, but I want to focus on the Heritage series and then also what they're calling the V79 series. The Heritage mm-hmm. series sounded to me like traditional Turkish handmade symbols. Um, so let's drop in a little audio from that first. With that line, I'm actually hearing not so much of the trash version of the Turkish thing, mm-hmm. but a lot more of just the almost the aged version. Yeah. Uh, and so I would I would definitely compare these closer to like Istanbul agop symbols yep. than I would Minel extra drives. Yeah, totally. That's exactly it. They're going for that just classic, smooth, buttery. Uh, Mm-hmm. And jazz, I hate to use that word, but that's that's what I think of, like jazz style sound. Um, yeah. But they're definitely not designed just for that. So those were 16-inch hi-hats, 20-inch paper-thin crash, a 22-inch thin ride. These were all very thin. And then there was also a uh, 22-inch paper-thin FX crash, which, which has a bunch of holes in it. They were very thin, very flexible. They felt great. So those were kind of like the yeah. old-school, classic, traditional Turkish-made symbols. The... Um, what they're calling V79 is a little bit more contemporary, a little bit uh, almost uh, controlled, a little more controlled. And there's also a bit of a yeah. growl in the overtone. So let's check out that. This is 15-inch hi-hats. What else is there? Uh, 19-inch paper-thin crash and a 24-inch paper-thin ride. <laughs> let's check that out. Yeah, those have a good studio quality to them. Yeah, they, they definitely had some like controlled decay, so you could really kind of punch them, and they didn't wash out too too hard. So I think Love these it. would be more contemporary players who want that old school sound, but don't want a symbol that just flares out, you know, just by whispering on it. Right. Uh, super cool. Really good classic look to the symbols to all of them as well. Yeah. Um, good logo design, not too big. Uh, and they just they look extremely professional. So yeah, I'm curious to see if this is going to be their price point or if this is their price point to get people in, and then eventually they'll have to raise their price because the prices are pretty insane for the quality that you're getting here. Yeah, um, I had to and do I, a I would take. say too on both of these sets that you played, I really thought the hi hats stuck out as having more character than I was expecting, and I thought the hi hats were the only thing that could make you that you could be polarized about you could be like hell yeah or that's not my jam the others it was just like obvious they were amazing but the hyatts really had some serious character to them and i i personally liked it um but yeah i I, those were the ones that kind of stuck out as like okay those are pretty original sounding yeah they're not they're not as old jazzy dark smoky vibe as i expected they have some some nice high end i mean they are called bright hats the ones that we checked out are the bright model right um but yeah yeah 
and the other series and the sixteens we on that other series that those really I was like whoa I thought those would be way more just low pitched yeah but they actually had great articulation to them yeah, for how exactly. thin they were and the fact they were sixteens yeah exactly and then they weren't so breathy and papery that they kind of disappeared uh, yeah so the other series we reviewed are the uh, Caspian which we have so we're not going to drop in the audio but you can check it out on the website uh, they sent like a really kind of funky set of hi-hats with a ton of, ton of holes and stuff in them. Real kind of white noise, electronic sounding. Um, and then a Luxo Raw, which is like a, a unlathed, kind of looks like patinaed and acid-washed kind of sound. Really cool yeah. stuff. So check out their website. It is, what is the address? I mean, maybe just Google Legado, L-E-G-A-D-O, <laughs> symbols, and you'll find Nailed it, dude. Nailed it. <laughs> We don't run websites. Oh, it is com. We very rarely okay. run websites anymore because we always ask, like, could you just Google the name and find it? Okay, well, then we're good. <laughs> we're good. Sorry I didn't have that prepped and ready for you. But all right, everybody. So check them out. Those are those are really cool. And I'm assuming they'll be at NAMM again this year. So stop by Love Custom Drums and check out the Legato Symbol booth as well. All right, let's get into some listener questions. All right. What do we got here? First one is from Bob, Bob Tatum. My question is about click track dependency. I play in a cover band in the San Francisco Bay Area that plays over 100 shows a year. Um, a good Damn. 80% of our songs are played to backing tracks, with most of the remaining song songs played with a click. I've gotten very confident playing with a click, but I'm worried that I'm becoming depending on it. I did a gig with another band without the click, and I got caught up in my own head about whether I was dragging. Um, as you know, second guessing your cell phone state sucks. Any feedback on how to approach this demon would be awesome. Great, great, great question. It happens to me. Um, so this is this is an interesting tidbit about when I sub for Carter on Lion King. Some okay. conductors use a click track on one song. Some conductors don't. Oh wait, do you not always have the same conductor? No, there's there's a there's a rotating. I mean, there's one main conductor, but then he has subs. Got it. So I found that when it's a conductor that uses the click track, I am super cool. All good. When it's a conductor that doesn't, I'm paranoid that I'm slowing down every single really? time. Um, and I've just had to just accept it. Like I'm more comfortable knowing that everything's in time, and I'm not going to have anyone say, dude, you were slowing down in that one section. Like We're good. Now, what I've done to practice-wise to help me with that is – not always practicing with a click, first of all. And I've started yeah. counting out loud quarter notes underneath everything that I warm up with. Nice. That's been a good way for me to like just run through my basic rudiment exercises and can I count it? Can I play uh, Wilcox and solos and count the quarter note while not screwing up what's on the page? Right. It's been a big help because it, it's, it's reminded me like, Okay, you can play with the click track, but you don't really know where the quarter note is within this pattern. So slow it down and take your time. And so that that's right. really helped. Counting out loud with no metronome has been a big help for me. Nice. Awesome. Um, go on. Next one. Yeah. This one's from David Bergman. Uh, I've heard you guys and other professional drummers cite Phil Collins drumming as influential. I'm more familiar with him as a front man. Um, the second show I ever went to as a kid was the Genesis We Can't Dance Tour, where Collins and Chester Thompson played a drum duet that melted my 10-year-old yep. brain. Would love to hear of any specific albums or song recommendations to better learn his style. Ah, there we go. Okay, well, first of all, um, oh, where'd it go? Somebody sent me an awesome Phil Collins meme today. Um, let me see. I know I still have it. Um, ah, there it is. Um, Phil, <laughs> Phil Collins didn't have to go so hard on the tar on the Tarzan soundtrack, but he did that. He did that for all of us. And I just, <laughs> just love that. This was somebody that I got into like a debate, not a debate, but I was like, you don't understand. Uncle Phil is the man. I love Uncle Phil. And so now they're throwing a little <laughs> little shade my way. But uh, I was there when he did the Tarzan soundtrack. I was in the studio with him and Luis, and he did go hard. Uh, so take that. I was there observing, not not adding. I was just eating their, their food and veggie tray. Okay. So I would say if you want to check out 
Everyone's going to tell you go straight to Brand X, which is Phil's uh, fusion band. He also actually did uh, what's the Harvey Mason thing? Is it Foursquare? Foursquare. What? Foreplay? <laughs> Foreplay. Is that what it's called? I think I've just eradicated that from my brain. Isn't Foursquare like weird. a social media app that no one uses anymore? It was a it was a, a game that you would play on the on the blacktop. Oh, that's with right. Your Foursquare with the with the old school kickball <clears throat> with yeah. the little ball. Yep, <laughs> exactly. So foreplay. I think I, I think Phil did one of those albums too. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. I'll have to look. In, I'm pretty sure that I have a four play album with Phil on it um, instead of Harvey Mason. But anyways, so people will tell you to go to Brand X, which is cool. Uh, but definitely the early Genesis stuff with Peter Gabriel. Phil's playing drums. And then I would check out a song, check out two songs so you can kind of hear the syncopated version of Phil. One would be called No Reply at All by Genesis, and the other one would be called Paper Late. Both of those songs will give you really great insight into Phil and his syncopated style of groove. Because if you hear him play the later pop stuff, it's fantastic, but it's pop drumming. But there's still, in both No Reply at All and in Paper Late, there's definitely some like, oh man, that is funky, funky stuff. And then, uh, and then you can check out as soon as he goes solo, then he's obviously playing drums on the albums as well, and he's bringing in horn section that they horn sections, uh, and they weren't doing that in Genesis. So you actually get even more of like an Earth, Wind, and Fire uh, vibe on like Face Value and the first time that um, Phil started doing all of his solo stuff. So check that out. I remember I don't know what it was. It must have been the mid '80s. I felt like he was on everything, like every kind of all-star project with Eric Clapton or something. Right? He yeah, was he drummer. was always the drummer. And you're like, is that Phil Collins back? And, yeah. and in the in those times, he was known as a, a huge pop singer. He, you know, and everyone was like, is that Phil Collins playing drums? <laughs> the people that didn't know that he has always been the drummer in Genesis. So, so yeah, and and yes, I've I've seen those concerts live many times where Phil and Chester go in. And they have the magic touch for how do you play a 10-minute drum solo for an arena of Mm non-drummers. And the drummers are still totally happy with it. But you can't do do a clinic solo in an arena. No one (laughs) will hear anything. It'll be like... (laughs) But if you go do, 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 clap, clap, do, 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 then everyone loses their mind. All right. We got one more question. This is from Adam. I'm looking to get hold of a Ludwig Acrylite and was wondering if you had any advice on what age drum I should be looking for. There seems a good question. Seems that there's anything from 60s to brand new drums available and I was wondering what the key differences would be and what I should look out for with the older drums. So, short answer, it doesn't matter, just get one because um, they're all going to be awesome. The the longer answer would be the newer ones are going to have better hardware. So if you get an old 60s one, it's probably going to have a junky throw-off that you're going to have to replace eventually. Um, the main difference is going to be the finishes. So the original, original ones, I don't think they were painted. They were just uh, anodized aluminum. And then they started okay. painting them. And then there's a couple areas where they started putting some like sand or something, some kind of a flecked, uh, speckled finish in the 80s. 90s that went to that Black Galaxy. Now they come back with kind of the, the classic version. It really, honestly, doesn't matter. They all sound awesome. Um, just look at the hardware. That's going to be the number one thing. Look at the throw-off. Yeah. Make sure it works. I think, honestly, I can't think of any sonic reason not to get a brand new one, and they're still pretty dang affordable. Like You can get a brand new Ludwig Acrylite with great hardware for $386. Now, I do admit that that for some people that are like, man, this is like a third snare for me, that might actually be quite expensive. Yeah. It's hard to turn down the $98 one on reverb. Yeah. But if this is a drum that you're going to use a ton, I kind of agree with Mike. Go with updated hardware. In the professional drum world, $386 is not a lot of money um, as far as professional snare drums. that's And, and this is – it. the thing is, even though it's affordable – Kind of like what we said about the Thomas stuff. It does what it's supposed to do. This is the prototypical aluminum snare drum sound. Yeah, everyone's and been trying to sound, break it this down. This is it. Yeah, and and the yep. difference between the Acrylite and a lot of the uh, whatever you want to call it, the competitors' versions of it, is it's a seamless shell. And mm-hmm. if you get a seamless aluminum shell from anyone else, that automatically puts you up usually in like the eight hundred dollar range. How they're right. able to keep it at that price, I have no idea. But yeah, so just get one. Doesn't matter. Whatever one looks good and is in the best shape, just get it. 
Boom. Awesome. All right, everybody, we'll keep sending in your questions to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. We appreciate it. As always, I will tell you to go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating and review those reviews and those ratings help other drummers find this podcast. And I'm assuming we're way over a million downloads now, right? Yeah, we're getting, I don't even know the number, but yeah, we're over that. But that's awesome. So thank you guys so much. Uh, Mike and I definitely don't take this for granted at all. We appreciate everything. Now, before we get to our picks of the week, I just want to make sure that Adam gets some love. Adam, your groove is coming up. Adam got a little fired up in his email. He said, do not make me the outro groove. Y'all never talk about the outro guy. So, Adam, your groove is coming up. Hang in there. It's a fat groove. It's got some some sweet ghost notes in it. But first, we're going to get to our picks of the week. My pick of the week this time is edible. I struggle to find a decent meal replacement bar that doesn't taste like buttered ass or isn't a candy bar. Mm. It seems like those are your only two options. It either tastes horrible and it's great or I mean it's great nutritionally or it's it's a candy bar. It's got 42 grams of sugar even and just cuz you put 20 grams of protein into a Snickers bar doesn't stop it from being a Snickers bar. <laughs> True. It just makes your Snickers bar taste more like protein. <laughs> so it's really hard to find something good and so I've been eating these rise bars r-i-s-e and all it is it has i'm looking at the ingredients here are the ingredients i can read them all to you almonds honey whey protein isolate and we're done all right so it is a full meal replacement bar it's about 280 calories so you're not eating this at the end of your meal um this would be but it's i just it just tastes good and i love when the sugar i get it we have to put sugar in it to make it taste better but if you could just use raw honey then at least I don't mm. I don't have that sugar high and that sugar crash. So yeah, so this is is awesome. Uh, you can literally get these things at Target in the box. They're about seven to eight dollars for a box of four. So and they make them in different flavors. Uh, this is the one that I eat the most is called the almond honey. So uh, three ingredients: twenty grams of protein. Rise, the simplest protein bar. Now, do you find yourself eating those when you're at home, or is that strictly when you're on the road? Like just when I'm on the road or if I'm here at the studio, uh, I I mean, even though I have a refrigerator and a microwave, I rarely have any food here. So I usually have I buy those um, entertaining uh, like if you had company over and you bought a veggie tray. Yeah, those I I always have one of those in the fridge because throughout the week I'll just snack on that because I can tell the difference now between bored snacking that's when I eat the veggie tray or I'm hungry. Mm-hmm. And then if I'm hungry and I just don't have time to eat or go upstairs to Karen's Bakery, then I'll just have one of these Rise protein bars. And, I mean, I've eaten every protein bar in the world. I There are definitely some good ones out there. The RX bars are great. But this one I actually like the taste of, and I just like the fact that I don't have to read a ton of ingredients. They get my pick of the week. You cannot eat. Maybe. Maybe you could eat it. <laughs> I'm going to eat it. Uh, John Robinson is a recent signee of innovation, innovative percussion drumsticks and mallets. And they made him a signature stick that I got a pair and I've been using it to review. And it's kind of an awesome stick. I, I personally love playing with different sticks all the time, different sizes, different shapes, different. I mean, I, I want to change it up at all, all times. This might be the biggest stick that I've ever really liked. It's 17 inches long. Really? Oh my goodness! It's it's a it is it's a sword, and it's point five seven inches in round. Okay, it's huge. I mean, it gives tons of reach. But what I you know, I think he, I think John used to use the Vic Firth General, which is more like a concert uh-huh. snare drum stick. Yeah, uh, again, a nice nicely balanced stick, but it feels heavy and it gives you a kind of heavy cymbal sound. This gives me kind of what you would expect from like a five A cymbal sound and response wise. But it's is it just, maple or hickory? Uh, it's hickory, I believe. It didn't feel like Damn. maple. Yeah, it's white hickory. It's got an oval tip. It has it has more of a, a taper than your traditional concert stick or like your hard rock stick. It's been super fun because I can just reach stuff. And, and I can kind of choke up more, which I tend to want to do. Um, okay. So anyway, it's the John Robinson signature stick. He also has some signature brushes, two different types. One has a felt beater on the on the rear end with wire brushes and then if you will and then the other one is like a red plastic bristly kind of brush so check out innovative percussions website look at the john jr robinson signature sticks 
17 inch stick if you need something that can reach across the room <laughs> it's not going to feel like a tree trunk it's been a lot of fun i dig it do you hear that hear what that sounds like adam's groove <laughs> that is saucy adam we love you bro you sound great um i'm not even, i'm gonna okay you know what screw it i'm going in i'm gonna try to do the last name everybody this is adam statulek statulek <laughs> God darn it, Adam. Couldn't you just be named Adam Smith? Adam Stachelek. Stachelek? Yep. Crushed it. Keep going. <laughs> Stachelek. Stachelek. Oh, Stachelek. Got it. Yep. Nailed it. Uh, do you have his specs of what he's playing? All right, Adam. Thanks for sending your beat. Uh, we did definitely put you at the outro on purpose because you said don't, so we did. That's yes. just the way we are. Uh, but That's how it goes. Adam is playing a Gretsch Catalina Maple kit with a 22-inch uh, bass drum, 12 and 14-inch toms. He's got a George Way uh, Tradition Series snare, oh, which boy. sounds awesome. Uh, what's he using? All Dream Symbols, Bliss Hi-Hats, Bliss Crash Ride, and a Contact Series Crash Ride. So, yeah, that's Adam. Thanks for sending your beat. Um, if you want to get your beat into the show, send it to mdinfo at modernjumber.com. Make sure you include it as a download link as well as an attachment. That way I don't lose the file. I think he just hit his last crash. <laughs> All right. All right. I'll talk to you soon, buddy. Everybody, thanks for listening to the podcast. We will see you guys next week. Yeah.